and the brave new world begins. When all men are paid for existing, and no man must pay for his sins, as surely as water will wet us, as surely as fire will burn, the gods of the copybook headings with terror and slaughter return. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Copybook Headings podcast. This is the podcast inspired by the poem by Rudyard Kipling called The Gods of the Copybook Headings, where each week we take a an old proverb or maxim, we break it down and, and try to see if we can glean any ancient wisdom or uh, eternal principles from these these uh, old sayings that have been around for a very long time. Um uh, I'm your host, Patrick, and uh, with me, as always, is uh, the fearless and courageous Andrew Steele. <laughs> Andrew, how you doing, man? Great. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. Uh, glad that we were able to connect again. I, I know you had some sick kids this week. A little bit, a uh, little bit of adventure at your at the students' oh, home, right? Yeah, yeah. This is adventures in parenting, right? Like uh, I'm, I'm newer on this road than than you are, so. <laughs> like talking to talk to someone more experienced yeah and who can relate <laughs> just the first time like the kids really got hit hard with something and it's just so sad to see them struggling you know yeah <laughs> especially when you feel helpless you don't know what to do you can't do anything you can't take it away yeah yeah um, and, my- and you know and with some things you know like okay we can go to the doctor and they're gonna say okay well wait and see yeah give them some <laughs> fluids <laughs> yep plenty yeah, of fluids well- and Come back next week if it's still bad. That'll be one thousand dollars. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, my wife's actually a pediatric nurse, so she usually handles that kind of thing. And so I feel oh, that's even great. Extra helpless sometimes. I'm like, I I talked to your mom. I don't even know what's going on. Yeah, so, but uh, it is helpful. Well, that's really helpful. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. Um, we got a we got an interesting one this week. Um, this is one that you you had selected, right, Andrew? That's right. Um, so why don't you uh, run us through it and let's uh, let's jump into it. All right. So I picked the uh, the often recited caveat emptor. Mm. Buyer, let the buyer beware. Yes, as, as you may have seen. Um, so I, I like this. I picked this one not knowing much about the origin. I thought, okay, it's it's a Latin one, and uh, I like I like Roman stuff. I like ancient stuff. So this one probably goes back to some ancient you know code of law from Augustus or <laughs> Theodosius or something like that. But unfortunately, no, that wasn't the case. But but at the very least, this is cool because with so many of our proverbs, we don't really have we can't really pinpoint where they come in. Uh, but this one comes from uh, from English common law, from a case from 1603. We actually know what case this is from, where the the judge um, judge gave this uh, this phrase. And the, the full phrase would is um, let me see if I can find it. Caveat emptor, quiae ignorare non debuit quod use alienum emit, hmm. which is uh, which is a lot for let a purchaser beware for he ought not to be ignorant of the nature of the property which he is buying from another party. Mm. So kind of a kind of common sense, you know, take some of the mystique out of it in, in English, but sure. <laughs> so, yeah. So a, a bit about this case, um, 
This is from Chandler v. Lopez, and uh, it was a it was a case where a man paid a hundred pounds, sixteen o three. So let's imagine a lot of money for the time mm-hmm. for what he thought was a bezoar stone. Do you have you heard of a bezoar before? I have, but I, I the name sounds familiar, but I don't know what it is. So I think most recently, or most widely, I've heard it in uh, in Harry Potter. It's, that uh, may have been where I read that. Yeah, it's, reading the book to my kid. It might be where yeah. I heard it. Yeah, it's like it's a folk magic thing, um, and it's supposed to have magical healing properties and protection against poisons. Hmm. Um, and these bezoar stones—they're kind of gross because they come from like the digestive a, tracts of, of yeah. animals, like these yeah. stones. Like <laughs> some people are like, "Hmm, this came out of my cow. I think it. I think it'll keep <laughs> me from getting poisoned." Um, yeah. So um, yeah. So this guy thought, "Okay, I'm buying a magic magic bezoar stone," and it turns out it did not have the healing properties that he thought it had, and so he sued to get his money back, and the judges said. No, that that the seller said it was a bezoar stone, but it didn't really make any warranties, make any certain claims about it. So that's that's on you. Mm. Should have checked it out. Should have checked it out before you paid for it. Interesting. So he wasn't. They're they're saying there was no fraud involved. It was just a case of of the buyer needing to to pay better attention and and do his due diligence. So that's kind of that's where this comes from. Um, so and. Uh... And not believe in silly superstition or something. I, I, I for one, am shocked that it didn't heal his heal his disease. So. Yeah, yeah. I was reading a bit about these these bezoar stones, and there's one where, like, the a, a French king has his cook was going to be executed for I don't know, probably trying to kill the king or something. And so, so the court physician wanted to uh, to test out a bezoar on the cook, mm-hmm. as and so they, so they poisoned the cook. And, uh, but the bezoar didn't work. So mm. <laughs> the cook died in, in agony from the poison. <laughs> okay. So we have a case of some guy selling someone a magic stone. I'm actually kind of surprised that the, the court sided with the, with the person buying the magic stone. Apparently maybe he didn't make any specific claims that it was magic. He just said, this is indeed a stone from the, in, uh, in the gut of a goat or whatever it is. Yeah. And here, yeah. I'll sell it to you. I think that might be the case. Yeah. I think it, maybe it's like, uh, you know, finding a, an old painting in an attic at a garage sale or something. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, no one's made any claims that it's an original Da Vinci, but, uh, you know, you think it might be. So sure. you, if, if it turns out not to be, you can't really sue them for not being, not being one. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I think it's just kind of, uh, they're kind of drawing a line with what constitutes fraud and what constitutes just due diligence. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, what, what, what do you think about this? Like, is it, uh, if, if in today's law, I don't know, I don't know enough about the law currently. I'm not, I'm not a, yeah. an attorney, but if, if you were to sell someone a stone and they had the, they were under the impression that it was a magic stone. I mean, how would that go down today? Would that be the same thing? Or there's some sort of consumer protection that would, that would kick in and, and, uh, get you for, for allowing them to believe that it's some sort of, you know, supernatural, uh, has some sort of supernatural abilities. I, I really don't know. I'm not, I'm, I'm not a, an attorney either. I think there with, with that kind of thing, it might go to, it might go to court and you might like kind of see who, like what exactly 
what if any promises were made or warranties were made about the object. I think this one comes up the most with like real estate. Because, uh-huh. you know, if, if you're selling your house, you know way more about the condition of your house than the person who's, who's going to buy it. So, yeah. <clears throat> you know, there's a lot of chances to kind of conceal any problems that there might be. So that's, I think, where the biggest place where a lot of these consumer protection laws come in is, you know, to, to, to put the, the thumb on the scale a bit more for the buyer to, to even things up because there's that knowledge gap between the, the seller and the buyer with something yeah. big like that. Yeah. I do. Have, I did have an experience one time when I was buying some, some real estate. I was just buying a piece of land, just bare land as kind of mm-hmm. an investment. And the, the price was really low for this land. And so I, I you know, was excited to, to see it, but I was buying it from out of state. So I, I was buying it yeah. sight unseen. Yeah. So I was asking the guy all these questions and he's like, yeah, I'll sell it to you, blah, 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 everything. And everything he asked was fine. I was like, you know, is there any liens or encumbrances on it or any of this? And he didn't, no, no, everything's fine, clean, whatever. I'm like, okay, great. This is going to be fantastic. Um, but before I signed it over, I talked to my realtor and I'm like, hey, would you just buzz by there and just take a look at it for me real quick? And yeah. so she does, she goes and she's like, it's a giant hole in the ground. I'm like, she's like, it goes down like 50 feet. It's like a, like a, just a big hole. It's like a big ravine. She, I was like, oh, so it's not buildable. And she's like, no, like you, you would have to like, it would cost thousands of dollars of like grading and bringing in yeah. dirt to, to flatten this out. So if I'm buying this as a, an investment property to maybe, you know, build something on it later or sell it to someone else who's going to build on it, there's no way. Right. And then yeah. that's obviously why it was i was going so cheap but you know sometimes you can find good deals so i was like uh you know you got to chase it down but um that was uh i was very glad that i i was as the buyer i was i was wary that time (laughs) because it could have been i could have ended up with a piece of property that was basically useless yeah absolutely um i'm so yeah with um with stuff i've seen you know i'm in the uh I'm in the technical writing in the, in the medical field. So Mm -hmm. medical devices and pharmaceuticals and stuff like that. Um, and I know of a case where, you know, where a company, if, if, you know, if the, the salespeople of a company are making certain claims about a drug or a device that's not backed up by, um, by the actual data, you know, and, and approved kind of language by the FDA, they can get they can get slapped pretty hard uh, for for making those kinds of claims, and so there's there's always a struggle within these big companies, kind of between <clears throat> between their sales and marketing, and and then the the scientists and, and regulatory people to to agree on what is allowed to be said to customers, right. so that they don't get these massive fines or or their their you know products pulled from the market. So that's interesting. I, what, I'm curious to know your thoughts on just uh, this saying as a more general principle. Like, h- how much do you think responsibility is on the person buying, and and what what uh, moral uh, onus is on the person selling, if any, um, when when selling any kind of product? I mean, how should we take this going forward? I mean, absent any legalities, let's just talk about the morality or eth- yeah. ethics of it. Um, you know, is it is it 100 percent? caveat emptor if, if you're you know buyer beware i'm selling you this piece of junk you didn't ask if the car ran or you know you know i'm <laughs> yeah. selling you this you know i know it's a piece of crap but uh i'm selling you this lemon anyway or is there some sort of responsibility on the seller's part i, I tend to think there is yeah i'm i i, I want to hear what you said what what you think about i'll, I'll weigh in first um 
I, I definitely think, I mean, I think they're, they're separate issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the, as, as someone, yeah, as someone who's selling something, I think I have a moral obligation to, to be truthful, um, in what I'm selling. Uh, but that doesn't mean I can, I mean, I can, I can desire that from the people who are selling to me. Mm-hmm. I can, I can think, especially within a, a community, you know, that there's community pressure for people to be honest, you know, with each other and that if they fail to be, that there's some repercussions. Mm-hmm. Um, but as, as a law, you know, as a, as a proverb here, um, I think it really is true. It ultimately, it is on you as the buyer, um, to not get you know messed over on, on a deal. Like that's the buck stops with you, so to mm-hmm. speak. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's kind of the way I see it. Like it, um, I, I can, I, we talked about this a little bit before. I think one space where, where this is absolutely true right now, where there isn't, you know, a, a network of, of consumer protections that, that we just kind of take for granted is in the crypto space mm-hmm. where if you want to get in on some, you know, some brand new coin that you think is going to take off, you have no idea. Like there's no guarantees that it's not going to be a rug pull that the people making this, uh, selling this coin, this digital currency or token that they're just going to take the money and run and leave you with, you know, nothing worthless, you know, data basically. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, so that it's a place where really all you can do is your due diligence. Cause no one's gonna, there's no one to sue. Cause usually these people just disappear sure. they're in a different country. There's no, there's no recourse. So you, you really have to do all, all the work. And even then people still get, uh, you know, still get scammed. So like kind of the, the protection there is, is, by trying to work with the reputation of the people who are involved. Right. Mm -hmm. So you say, okay, this person has done X, Y, Z and they've done it well and they haven't screwed anyone over. I can trust them on this project and invest in it. But also with crypto, so many projects, you know, it's, it's an anonymous space. So maybe you don't know who you're working with and you just kind of, well, I guess I'll try it. So, that's actually what kind of got me out of crypto is I, mm. I hated the, like pe- people think that's a benefit that the trustless aspect of crypto and the smart contracts and stuff. I hate that. I think, I think that's the wrong way to go as a society. I think, I think we need more in person. We need more trust. We need more reputation on the line and not less, you know? Yeah. I think that's an interesting point. Um, I, I, I don't know a ton about crypto. I did buy a little Bitcoin back in the day and made a little money and then got out. So I, <laughs> <laughs> nice. I stopped, but, uh, um, you know, going back to what you said at the beginning, I agree. I think it's two separate issues. When you look at this, I think if you're going in as a buyer, then, um, let the buyer beware caveat emptor should be your, your mantra that should be in foremost in your mind. And I think yeah. you're wrong with that. I think where it goes wrong is if you're the seller thinking that if you're the seller thinking, Hey, yeah, buyer beware, that's, th- that saying is not for you, right? The saying is not for right. you. <laughs> that's a good way to get into some, some sticky, uh, um, you know, hazy gray areas of, of morality where you're like, well, you know, it's the buyer's job to be, to be informed. 
It's like, no, that, that's a separate thing. Yes, it's the buyer's job to be informed, but that's not, that's not, has nothing to do with you right now, right? What, right. what it has to do with you is you being a moral, ethical person selling them this and informing them on the things that they need to be informed upon. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, yeah, it's, it's easy to, easy to convince yourself that, uh, that you're absolved of, of wrongdoing because someone else should have done their due diligence with you, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> And, and it can be tricky. I mean, I've worked in sales for a long, long time, and it can be tricky to know how much information is required of you to divulge. Because again, yeah. we were mentioning this a little bit offline. Um, there's very, very, very often, if not always, in some kind of transaction, the seller will know more than the buyer. They'll know mm-hmm. the process on how it was built. Well, I don't know that. I'm not an expert in, you know, making tennis shoes. I don't know how to make a tennis shoe, uh, yeah. but Nike does, you know, so so they know stuff about it that I don't. They know the materials that was used that I, I probably don't. They know the processes. They know, was it made in a sweatshop or wasn't it? How am I supposed to know? You know, maybe I could try to do some research, but but maybe I can't find it out, you know, um, yeah. or uh, just what the, what are the profit margins? Did it, did it cost them 50 cents to make something that they're selling to me for a hundred bucks? Uh, yeah. That might change my opinion of it, but there's just information that I don't know. Right. So I've, I've struggled with this a bit myself uh, in working in sales, trying to be an ethical person you know, how much of this information do I need to divulge to the customer? If I told them every single thing I knew, is that, you know, helpful or is that just going to cause more problems? Is that necessary? So, um, yeah, it can get, it can get a little sticky there. So I think, um, there's kind of some, some basic things that are commonly understood that need to be, need to be divulged. Right. So, and, and beyond that, I, I really, it's hard for me to say. Uh, I think this is a difficult question as to how much you need to divulge and how much information is, um, uh, needs to be above board and, and, and transparent and how much of it just is not really any of the buyer's business, right? I mean, maybe they don't need right. to know my profit margin. They're, this is what I'm selling the product for. Do you want to take it or leave it, right? Yeah. So, um, but yeah, there's, I mean, obviously the condition of the product and, and uh, whatever you're selling, if there's any kind of issue with it that would be a surprise later, I think there's some 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 ethical responsibility there to be able to divulge those sorts of things, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I also wonder, like, you know, we do have a lot of consumer protection laws. And and for me, what comes to mind is the big stuff, you know, houses and cars and pharmaceuticals and stuff like that. But I, I got to wonder how much of them are, are just to clear up space for, like, so that the small stuff doesn't clog up the courts and stuff, right? Because if mm. thinking about... Something, something simple like a, a label on, on something saying where it's made, right? Mm-hmm. I guess I don't know if there's actual laws about that. I got I assume so that if you say something's made in the USA, at least it, in some way it needs to be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so instead of like, you know, you buy you buy your T-shirt that falls apart and you think it was made in the USA, it was find out it was made in China, you know, mm-hmm. um, like instead of like all these little instead of these unscrupulous sellers, you know, having to, having to get little sued a little bit all the time, you know, there's these bigger, bigger penalties, bigger systems in place that just kind of discourage that small time behavior that, that clears things up. I don't know. It just, just occurred to me though. I, just to clarify. So I, I'm not yeah. sure if I, I, I understood your point fully. You're saying that like the small ones don't go through the court. So it kind of, like the big ones do or I'm just, yeah. I wonder like how much like the big stuff 
you know, they make examples with the big stuff just to, to discourage oh, the small stuff. Right? I see what you're saying. And, yeah, yeah. So you'll hear of, you know, Pfizer having to pay a hundred million dollars, you know, yeah. or a billion as it, as it were. And uh, that discourages the smaller, the small fries from uh, doing the same yeah. thing. Yeah. I, th- I, I mean, it would discourage me, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I definitely think that the big, the big purchases are going to be, you know, um, you're going to need to do a little bit more in-depth research with that. And, and a lot of this kind of just comes with experience. Uh, I, I, I do, like, like I mentioned before, as the buyer, I, I do think that this, this maxim holds up. This proverb is still yeah. solidly relevant today. Um, is it uh, going to, you know, what we typically do with the gods of the market? Is there, is there something today that's, that's pushing back against this, this wisdom of, Hey, be cautious about your purchases, do your homework, or is that pretty much universally accepted? I think there's, there's a lot of complacency because of certain protections that, that people have come, become used to. Yeah. So, um, people aren't willing to quite do their homework the same way. Um, we don't really, you know, we don't have a culture of, of haggling over prices in, in America, the way, people the way they do in other other countries and cultures um so which is kind of unfortunate i think i think it makes our country a little more our society a little more sterile doesn't it everything's corporate everything's got a price tag it's not no negotiation no human uh 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 interactions there personally yeah i think you know there's a little bit of that for sure um i think like the big you know in, in popular culture kind of the the joke you know, the white whale of negotiating is like buying a car, right? Like that's, mm-hmm. that's the time in your life, especially if you're not buying a lot of them or very frequently, like that's when you can try your chops at, at the negotiation. Even that in recent years has, has gone away with just like the, the supply and demand of cars. Mm-hmm. Like when we, we bought a car a couple of years ago and, uh, it was kind of, well, you can, we have these three, you can, you can take them or you leave them or wait until, you know, a couple months when we get the one you want specifically, there's no negotiating. This is the price. Cause you know, there's only three cars there and there's other people who want them, you know? Yeah. So like that, that whole, uh, ethos of, of, you know, doing all the research on, on the MSRP and, and mm-hmm. going at the last day of the month, you know, all the, all those <laughs> little tricks, like all I just out the window now. So that's kind of, that's no fun either. Right. Um, no, it is kind of fun, like traveling abroad and, and going to the markets and haggling over stuff, but it just takes so much time, you know? That's true. That's true. It's, <laughs> it's, time it's, for that. it's not, uh, it's definitely not as efficient as just seeing a price tag and going with it. Um, yeah. one thing I've, I've had experience in is, um, when you move up kind of, uh, socioeconomically and you move into like the high dollar deals, um, yeah. I, I've, I haven't done a lot of these, but I have kind of been privy to a few sat in the room on some of these, you know, business deals that have gone down a few times. And it's crazy to me just how everything's open and everything's up for whatever. They're like, well, what if we just change this part? And what if we, instead of that, we just threw this in. And I'm like, they yeah. can do that. I'm like, well, yeah, they can do whatever they want. <laughs> this is their contract. It's like, but as you, as someone who kind of grew up in the, you know, just regular old middle class, um, you forget that, uh, you know, things like that can happen because we're just used to just paying a price for a product and then they, they give it to you. And then that's it. Uh, whereas uh, you see a lot of, you know, a lot of these business deals, all sorts of stuff can go on and then they can throw different, you know, things in. And, and so 
Um, anyway, I just thought that was interesting, especially when you're doing, you know, big deals like, like real estate, like you mentioned, uh, uh, vehicles to, to some extent or, or buying and selling businesses. Um, that's, I, I, I can imagine that's going to be, that would require quite a bit of, quite a bit of research. It reminds yeah. me of the, what happened recently with uh, Elon Musk taking over Twitter. Do you remember that process? Not, no, not too much. Like, do you, I, can you recap? Yeah. I just remember, I don't remember all the details, but I just remember they went back and forth and back and forth because he was like, I'm going to buy it. And he's like, no, I'm not going to buy it. And they're like, at first they were like, well, we're not sure if you're going to buy it. We're not sure if yeah. you can buy, you can buy this. He's like, no, I am. And then the board is like, and then he was like, I don't know if I want to buy it. And they're like, wait, you're buying it. <laughs> and then because, uh, there was some, there was some discussion over how many of these accounts on Twitter were fake. There's fake right. bots. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And so, and then he was like, no, these, there's too many of these that are fake. You guys told me the wrong number. I'm not buying some platform that I thought there was all this organic content. And then there's far less than I thought. So they haggled over it back and forth. And I don't remember, you know, I don't, I didn't dig into it deep enough to know exactly how it, how it ended up. Obviously he, he did complete the purchase, but, um, but yeah, that was, that was interesting. That went on for weeks. Yeah. That, that, that jogs my memory. Yeah. My memory. I, I remember a bit about that. Yeah. Like he was trying to, he was going to back out and everyone was saying, Oh, they need to sue him to, to make sure he's going to buy it. And which I thought was so and, weird. Cause I thought at first I thought they didn't want him to buy it. And then they're like, they're going to sue him to make him buy it. And it was really weird. But, uh, but yeah, it was, it was, uh, again, he was, he was trying to do his research and, and figure out what, once he looked under the hood, he's like, wait, is this really what you told me? And, yeah. uh, I mean, I guess ultimately it went through. So, but, um, but yeah, uh, buying a business, something like, like Twitter, yeah, that would be, I imagine very complicated and lots of moving pieces. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I am reminded something you were, you were talking about earlier, kind of the obligation to, as you know, obligations of sellers or the, the, the moral aspect, I guess, of selling. I was thinking of, uh, back in college, I had a, I had a friend who, who did, you know, call center sales, right? He, uh, yeah. I think a lot of college students will, will cycle through those jobs of, of, of doing those that he, he, for some reason liked it and ended up kind of managing this team. And this was like 2007 selling like mortgages. Oh no. <laughs> so we, we joked that he was like, he was to blame for the, the housing crash because he was getting people to take out mortgages on, on their home. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, this this friend has mended his ways, fortunately, but but like, I I could never do something like that, right? Just selling something that people don't need, that really is ultimately detrimental to them. I think I think there's an obligation to you know not do that. Yeah, <laughs> cool. I've had an opportunity a couple of times to get into into selling cars, and uh, mm -hmm. I've always turned it down because I just I personally. I think the the vast majority of people driving around new cars can't afford them. <laughs> so yeah. I, I think I would have a really hard time pushing someone into a vehicle that where they, they make less annually than the cost of this car that they're buying. And I'd just be like, Oh man, like, don't do this. Just don't do it. And, um, but you know, they, they're convinced that's the car they want or the car they need. And, and, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of salespeople would be happy to just slam dunk that one and take the, take the commission check. Yeah. Or, and then, and then also like to, to funnel them into a, you know, into a loan that's more advantageous to the lender than to Ooh, them, you know, yeah. like when they, when they can't afford it. And yeah, just, that would be a hard, a hard part of, of my, uh, my brain or, or my soul to, to shut off for, 
for for the sake of the commission. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, it was it's it's funny. We've uh, I was given some advice once buying a car. Uh, I was never tell them you're paying cash, and I wasn't exactly mm-hmm. sure why, but we were going to pay cash for this car. And then as soon as yeah. we get in the room, um, what what they do is they tack on a lot of extra little fees in the loan, where you're you're not really paying as close of attention. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so if you, if they give, if they quote you a, a cash price, it's usually going to be a little bit higher than the loan price. Cause they'll make it up somewhere else in the loan. Right. Okay. So the, the advice is don't, don't, don't tell them if you're paying cash, you'd be like, Oh yeah, yeah. Let them talk about the loan. And then once you get into the, the loan officer sitting down in that room, just be like, nah, I'll just pay cash. And this is the price you quoted me. Um, because otherwise, so, but yeah, there's, there's, there's all sorts of deals and, and, and things going on like that. Um, it, it, it makes me kind of sad to think of people who maybe don't have the mental faculties to, to deal with all this stuff. We have yeah. a very kind of, uh, I don't know, legal litigious society where the, everything's of contract and everything's legalese and everything's forms and signing here. And, and, and most people don't know what the heck this stuff means. Even if they did yeah. read it, they wouldn't, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, just by definition, half the population is below average intelligence. That's what average means, right? So you got yeah. all these people that, you know, a lot of them may just may not, may not get it. You know, they may not understand it. And, and uh, uh, so even if they're doing their best to do, to do their research and uh, be, you know, being wary, it still comes down to either having some kind of legal protection through, um, you know, consumer protection laws or ideally just having a decent society where people care about one another enough to, to not take advantage of each other. But I don't know, maybe that's too idealistic. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I don't think it's too ideal. I think that's, that is an ideal to shoot for, for sure. Um, I think there's also value in uh, the community aspect and, and the family aspect of, you know, this is where, where your elders come in, uh, mm. come in handy, right? People with experience, who can, who can show you the pitfalls, um, warn you about, about those types of things and, and kind of guide you through some of that process. Um, that's another, you know, that's another trope from like, you know, sitcoms is I think maybe the Cosby show, like where he takes his, his son to buy a car, a used car, you know, so he's showing the negotiating ropes of how to, how to buy a car and stuff. Yeah. And cause it's, it's a valuable skill to, to teach your kids is how to, how to see, if you're going to get scammed, how to, how to avoid that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, 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 I actually had a question for you yeah. being, being in sales, you know, like where, um, have you, have you seen the benefit and, and like from, from shooting straight with people and like, does, is that, does that pay off? Is that worth it beyond the moral aspect? Like, do you feel that, um, like as a businessman, you can have kind of develop that kind of relationship, develop that kind of reputation that, that ultimately puts you ahead of people who are scamming. That's a great question. Um, I think it's going to depend on the industry. It's going to depend on the business. Um, if it's the kind of business where there is repeat customers and you have that reputation that can help. Uh, but I, I'm not going to sit here and say that if you're honest, you're going to make, all this money just for being yeah. honest. And, um, 
you know, the guy down the street who's scamming people is going to, going to end up going broke. Cause that's not, that's not real life. I mean, sometimes yeah. the guy who's scamming people just keeps doing it forever. And, um, especially if, it, like I said, if it's in an industry where there's not a lot of, uh, customers talking to each other or not, there's no Yelp reviews on it or whatever, you know what I mean? Right, uh, yeah. Some industries are just different. And so if he's just moving from customer to customer base and, and, um, you know, yeah, it can be, it can be, it can be lucrative to be slimy. Um, and so, uh, it, it, part of the struggle for, for in sales is sometimes, uh, uh, in wa- wanting to inform the customer, you can tell them too much and confuse them yeah. because me trying to be as upfront and transparent as I can to be honest with these people to help them can actually raise their hackles sometimes and think, wait a second, what did he just say yeah. about this? And I'm trying to be, you know, extra transparent. Now be, be, be aware of this, that, and the other, where I should have probably just kept my mouth shut and they'd have been fine with it. And it's not anything to worry about. I just wanted to be, you know, extra transparent. So you got to have to know your, know your customer and understand that, uh, are they going to understand this or is this going to confuse them and make it worse? And then, uh, and then also, no, understanding your motivation. Am I, am I really doing it for them or am I trying to keep this quiet because, because I just want to slam this deal, you know? So, um, ultimately it comes down to, does it make you feel slimy? Does it make you feel yeah. good about this? Does it make you feel slimy? If it makes you feel slimy, don't do it. Yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah, I had, but... <clears throat> I had another comment about what you had said before about, about, uh, people kind of bringing their elders along. Obviously yeah. we, in this podcast, we respect our elders because that's kind of what this whole, <laughs> this whole show is about. Um, these, uh, these, uh, old, old maxims. Um, but, um, uh, I think I I've heard a lot about, you know, as, as I mentioned, some people having a hard time, you know, maybe they're not super educated. Maybe they're not super bright, don't have a crazy high IQ. Maybe they're below average and they come in to buy these things. It, it can be a, a struggle for these types of people. Um, but the point that came to my mind as you were saying, as we were talking about that is, um, I think how it was done in the past was you had these family members, even if they come from a, a family that maybe they're not, you know, um, geniuses, the grandpa's probably seen it. And even yeah. if he doesn't understand what the legalese says, he knows something's up because he's yeah. seen this play out. So he's like, right. I don't have to understand what the legalese says to understand this is, this is danger. Just be yeah. cautious. And, and so anyone can do that if they have, they don't need a super high intelligence so much as they need some wisdom and wisdom yeah. is different from intelligence than it comes from experience. Right. So, um, I think as we've kind of gone away from listening to our elders and the family's kind of broken down, you end up with these people who are going, they don't talk to their grandpa before they buy a car. They don't talk to their dad. You know, they just go yeah. out and do it. And cause they don't have a strong family relationship. And, and that's, I think led to some problems. Yeah, for sure. Like, uh, I don't know if you saw Recently, there was uh, uh, something on Twitter, a guy talking about how he was excited. He was paying off his car in like, you know, ahead of time, his, you know, what he thought was a 36 month loan, but it was a 36 month lease. And so he, oh, he thought he was yeah. buying a car. I did so see like, that one. That was terrible. Yeah. Someone at some point did not tell him the difference between a loan and a lease and, and it really hurt him. That's almost, it was, that was almost hard for me to even believe when I saw that video, that guy who posted, um, yeah, but for those who aren't familiar, it's just a guy on TikTok or something who posted saying he was getting close to paying off his loan. And then he realized that, uh, that it wasn't a loan. It was a lease and he didn't know the difference between a car loan and a car lease. And, and I, I just was like, man, where's that guy's parents? Like, didn't his dad tell him (laughs) to be slapped? Couldn't they inform him a little bit? Or maybe he doesn't have a good relationship with his family. I don't know. But, but yeah, there's, there's, there's massive value 
in just life experience and looking toward to those who were who've been around and uh you know um gone down that road and can tell you where the pit where the where the uh, potholes are you know yeah all right well uh i guess that's a good place to stop uh this is uh actually been, turned out to be a really interesting one i thought it was going to be kind of simple but we we went some interesting interesting direction so thanks for picking it <laughs> yeah no problem i'm i'm uh yeah same here i was i thought this went some places i certainly hadn't thought of when when i was preparing and i'm excited for for next week to see what you have in store for us all right well uh we'll uh talk to you guys all next week thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time we'll see you bye there are only four things certain since social progress began that the dog returns to his vomit and the sow returns to her mind and the burnt fool's bandaged finger goes wobbling back to the fire and that after this is accomplished and the brave new world begins when all men are paid for existing and no man must pay for his sin as surely as water will wet us as surely as fire will burn the gods of the copybook idiots with terror